I just didn't know if any of you were able to uh, give birth to any difficult emotions. <laughs> uh, and just without the story, just what the emotion was that uh, might have come to your mind. Fear and sadness. Anger and resentment. Anger and impatience. Fear. Overwhelm. Worry. Shame. Longing. Well, this is what we're going to be talking about this afternoon. All of this. I'd like to discuss sort of the Buddha's teachings and his approach to working with what are called in, in one translation, the afflictive emotions. That is those emotions that afflict us in some way that cause us suffering. And how the natural ease of the mind is obscured when we don't know how to relate to these in a skillful way. The Pali word, and most of you know the Pali is the language derived from the vernacular of northern India at the time of the Buddha. The Pali word for this is kalesa. And sometimes it's translated as defilement, sometimes as unwholesome mind states, sometimes as afflictive emotions. And it's all the many things you mentioned of anger, jealousy, envy, pride, fear, anxiety, worry, depression, rage boredom. I mean, it's a long list. And in one way, it's just the normal run of experience in our lives. You know, these are the feelings that we commonly have in the course of our day-to-day life experience. And so it's natural that these feelings arise, that these emotions arise. The question is whether we get lost in them whether we're drowning in them, whether we become completely identified with them, or we bring some discerning wisdom to the experience of them and actually use these emotions and the often powerful energy of them to use this energy in the service of liberation rather than just be the cause of our suffering. In one very brief teaching, the Buddha pointed out the basic framework for understanding working with these states. And it's a familiar one. Many of you probably know it. He said, O monks, and for our purposes, he's addressing us all. O monks, the mind is luminous. It suffers because of visiting kalesas, visiting defilements. The mind, monks, is luminous. It can be freed from visiting defilements, visiting kalesas. So what is the key word here? The key word is visiting. That these states, these emotions, are not intrinsic to the mind. They are not intrinsic 
to the nature or quality of awareness. Rather, these emotions appear, they arise, not unlike the sounds that we were listening to. The emotions appear or arise out of certain conditions. Conditions of the body, of the mind, of our environment. When the conditions are right, a particular emotion will arise. The conditions change, the emotion dissolves. Very much like clouds forming in the sky and then the conditions change and the clouds dissolve. Now this is not difficult to grasp or understand. We can know this intellectually. Oh yeah, emotions come and go. So we know it intellectually, but when we're in the throes of a powerful emotion, it's very difficult to put this awareness, this understanding into practice. So I want to read something from the teaching of Ajahn Chah, who was one of the great Thai forest masters of the last century. And it's kind of the frame for the whole discussion of this afternoon. He said, within itself, the mind is already peaceful. That the mind is not peaceful is because it follows moods. It becomes agitated because moods deceive it. Sense impressions come and trick it into unhappiness, suffering, gladness, and sorrow. But the mind's true nature, awareness, is none of these things. Gladness or sadness is not the mind, but only a mood coming to deceive us. The untrained mind gets lost and follows these things. It forgets itself. Then we think that it is we who are upset or at ease or whatever. But really this mind of ours is already unmoving and peaceful, really peaceful. So we must train the mind to know these sense impressions and not get lost in them. Just this is the aim of all this difficult practice we put ourselves through. So we must train the mind to become aware of these impressions so as not to get lost in them. This is the aim of all this practice we do. So the question then is, particularly with respect to working with these difficult emotions, these powerful energies, how do we train the mind? What is the training specifically geared to this arena of our experience? The first and fundamental step in working with difficult emotions is an obvious one, but it's not always easy to do. And that is acknowledging and recognizing them when they arise. There's a pretty wide range among us in our abilities to recognize emotions when they appear. You know, for some, it's very difficult. We might be going in on our li- going on in our lives, being driven by all kinds of feelings, and really not have a clue as to what it is that's driving us. You know, it's just driving us into distraction. For others, maybe we're more skilled at recognizing what it is that we're feeling. You know, the emotions come and we recognize it and we know it's there, but we don't necessarily have the ability 
to not get lost in them. You know, I know I'm angry, but I'm lost in the anger. I know I'm afraid and I'm lost in the fear. So the first step is learning, training ourselves to recognize the emotions when they come. And we can do this in several different ways. A very pragmatic and not so difficult way is to key into the physical sensations of our bodies. This is often a big clue that something is going on. Feelings of tightness, of contraction, of heat, of tension, of agitation. You know, we can, we can usually recognize when our body is going through something, that's a signal for us. That's a feedback. It doesn't mean that every time we feel a sensation, it means that an emotion is present. Because sometimes these sensations will arise for quite other reasons. But when the sensations are strong, it's worth checking it out. You know, I'm feeling this strong agitation. I'm feeling this strong heat, this contraction. Let me take a look. Is there some emotion that's present that I haven't been recognizing? A very good example of this and this is an easy one to recognize. Do you know the feeling of rushing? You know, just when we're rushing to do something, it's probably most of the time. So that's a, that's a noticeable body feeling. Right? There's some emotion present which is driving the rushing, which is underneath the rushing. Maybe it's impatience, maybe it's anxiety, maybe it's fear, maybe it's whatever. Every time you notice that you're rushing, just stop for a moment. Let that be the mindfulness bell. Stop, take a look. What's the feeling that's present? See if it's possible to settle back into the body and to do whatever you're doing at whatever speed is necessary, but without the rush, without that feeling of toppling forward. So keying into the body is one way of recognizing emotion. Another way is paying attention when we find ourselves in the middle of an action that doesn't feel quite right. Do you ever find yourself in situations we're doing something, whether it's out of habit or desire or something, we're doing something but there's this little space in us, there's that little voice or sense, this doesn't feel right. Something about it doesn't feel good. We're feeling ill at ease, it feels a little bit off. Stop and take a look at what emotion might be there. Some very simple arenas in which to do this. And what I'm about to mention is a huge area of practice for us in our daily lives and that is the area of right and wrong speech. So just the next time, you know, maybe it'll be next month or next year, <laughs> when you find yourself talking about somebody else, 
you know, just some kind of gossip. Uh, maybe it's malicious, maybe it's not. Take a look at what's going on. You know, because it's often becomes so much of a habit for us that we don't even really pay attention to perhaps a subtle kind of, mm, I know this isn't quite right, but it's so delicious. <laughs> you know, and so we just keep doing it and we're not picking up whatever the emotion is that's underneath it that may be driving it. So that again, just like the rushing, that's a place that we can use as feedback to us that kind of stops us and wakes us up a little bit. Okay, what's happening here? What's going on? But sometimes it's a physical action, you know, that we feel is a little off. I'll share a story with you. Those of you who have been on retreat probably have heard this many times. But it's a very striking example for me just of just what I'm talking about. At one point, I was on retreat up at IMS in Massachusetts. And often, or sometimes, you're going through the dining room and in front of you know, certain dishes, it will say, moderation, please. You know, if they didn't make a huge amount, so they just want people to be moderate. So I'm going through the line one day, you know, in silence, I'm on retreat, and they had this bowl of sesame spinach. Okay, so I really like sesame spinach. So I see this sign, moderation, please. And kind of the, the unspoken thought and really unacknowledged thought and feeling that was going on in me was, and this was not articulated in my mind in that way, but that's what was really going on. I wonder how much I can take and it still be moderate. <laughs> and I proceeded to take what I thought was, you know, pushing right, right at that limit. Well, about 30 seconds later, you know, I'm going through the line and then this another afflictive emotion <laughs> arose, just this tremendous guilt. <laughs> you know, oh, now all the people behind me are not going to have enough to eat. And so I went through that whole trip. And it's all because I wasn't mindful enough writing that first, you know, and seeing the sign, moderation, please, there was a certain greed feeling. It was just greed and desire, wanting, but I didn't really pick it up. You know, and so I got caught in this whole little chain. But when I look back at that experience, I knew all along it didn't feel right. You know, there was part of me that knew, but I was just overriding it. So I think this feelings of unease in situations actually a very good uh, feedback for us. That's like a sign, okay, stop, take a look. What's the emotion present? What's the driving feeling? We can key into the body. We can look to see when we're doing something that doesn't feel quite right. We can learn to recognize emotions when we pay attention simply at those times when we're just feeling out of sorts. You know, we feel grumpy or we feel, we just don't feel good. You know, we're not feeling happy. Instead of 
not paying attention to the fact, oh, yes, this is a certain emotional state that's arisen, instead of just drowning in it, can we use the not feeling well to, again, wake us up to investigate? Maybe we're having obsessive thoughts about something. You know, we're just going on and on. Maybe we're worried about something. Maybe the body's not feeling well. But we use it. We use it as a wake-up call to learn to recognize what it is that's going on. Peeing into the body, paying attention when it feels like we're not doing something that's really straight or right. Paying attention when we don't feel well in some way. Sometimes we don't recognize the complexity of our emotional states because we recognize the most obvious one, but we're missing emotions that may be underneath. And a good clue that this is happening is when we're feeling something and we recognize it, but we feel stuck in it. You know, it's not that the recognition brings a space of freedom. We recognize it, but uh, somehow we are caught. Very often we're caught because there are other underlying emotions that we're missing. And the underlying emotions can be feeding the more obvious one. So I'll give you a few examples. Sometimes when we're feeling anger, you know, we, we recognize it. We know we're angry. But maybe underneath there's a feeling of hurt or a feeling of self-righteousness. Mm. I really should feel this because this person did this, this, and this. If we're missing those underlying emotions, it is going to keep feeding the anger and no matter how often we're mindful of it, we're going to feel caught by it. You follow? So it's, it's really looking underneath. Some years ago, I was teaching, we call it a contemplative law retreat. It was a retreat for lawyers, law students, law professors. It was a pretty interesting group. Um, and this one, I think it was a second-year law student, a third-year law student, he said something so interesting in the discussion he was just talking about the stress of litigation, you know, and being in that adversarial position. And he said, and this was in the group discussion, he said, you know, I have to get angry because if I didn't get angry, I would feel all the fear. Well, I thought that was a very interesting comment, you know, of how the mind was getting deflected into anger as a way of not feeling the fear, as if somehow, and this is where the big misconception is, as if opening to the fear, feeling the fear would be weakening. And actually, one of the things we learn in practice is that opening to the fear and acknowledging it is strengthening. And that we don't need to be afraid of it and then express it in terms of anger or aggression. So that's just another example of what can be underneath some of the more powerful states we're in.
when you feel caught in something and you're looking to see what's underneath, it's not a discursive process. It's not going into your whole psychological history. It's not thinking back to your childhood. That's not what I mean by looking underneath. It's much more just settling back and an intuitive. You know, it's just stepping back. It's almost like asking the question, okay, is there something else here? And that's all. See what comes from it. So it's not a big analytic process. Sometimes we don't see what's going on. We're not aware of what's going on because we're misperceiving. You know, we know that an emotion is there and we're labeling it or we think it's one thing and it's really another. So this is another way we get stuck if we're not seeing accurately. I had one very striking example of this and it was um, like a model for then looking at a whole other range of emotions. At one point uh, in my practice on retreat again, I was sitting and I just had these waves of sadness. You know, it was just sadness, sadness, sadness. I was noting, I was opening to it, I was aware of it, but I just felt caught. You know, I was really into it. So I'm noting, noting sadness, sadness, sadness. And at a certain point, the very caughtness intrigued me. It's like, what is going on here? Why am I so lost in this? So I looked more carefully. And I saw that it wasn't sadness. It was unhappiness. Now these emotions might seem similar, but they're really quite different. They are different feelings. Because I was misperceiving it, I was not able to fully accept it. It's like I was misaligned. You know, here was the unhappiness, and I was calling it sadness, or perceiving it as sadness, and so I stayed caught. As soon as I could get aligned with what was actually there, that allowed for it all to wash through. So again, this is just something else, another tool in your toolbox of meditative skills. When you feel caught and you try all these other things, keying into the body, seeing what's underneath, if you still feel caught, just check out again, is my perception of it accurate? Is it exact? Is it precise? With emotions that are just passing through, we don't have to do this. It's not that we need to be totally exact and precise about everything we're feeling. I'm suggesting this particularly for the times when we feel stuck. Okay. In the service of precision, in the service of exactness, a, a tool that I found really helpful, and it's so simple, when you feel caught, when you feel stuck, it's just settling back and asking yourself the question, what's happening? You know, because sometimes 
and this is a this is kind of a meditative danger. We can be looking so precisely, so exactly, so digging into what's going on, but really be involved in a, a big struggle. Sometimes it's simply a question of just relaxing, settling back, opening up, asking them a question from a very open space. Okay, what's happening here? And maybe the answer will be confusion. You know, maybe it'll be chaos. Maybe it's not going to be some subtle little mind state. It might be just a very generalized state that we need to open to. The question what's happening is a very useful uh, way to do this. So all of this is the first step in working with these emotions. It's the clear recognition of what's present. So we need to do that. The recognition becomes the basis for the next step. And that is coming to a place of acceptance of what it is that we've recognized. Because we could recognize something that's there and not be very accepting of it. What does acceptance of an emotion mean? It doesn't mean justifying it. It doesn't mean wallowing in it. It doesn't mean figuring it out. It's simply that ability of the mind to be mindfully aware in a non-judgmental way, in an accepting way. Yes, this is here. Fear is present. Anxiety is present. Grief is present. Worry is present. All the things you mentioned earlier. Can we recognize it? And can we settle back into the acceptance of the fact that it's present? This acceptance helps us in two ways. It helps us to not get lost and just be drowning in it. And it also helps us to be with it and not hold on to it. I'll just tell you a little acceptance story which had dramatic, a dramatic effect on my practice and on my life, really. Over the years, I've worked a lot with fear, just as a mind state. And at different times, fear would be coming up so strongly. There was one point in my practice where it, it felt like I had just tapped into primal fear. It wasn't even fear about any particular thing. It was just the energy. And you know how paralyzing that can be. There was so much fear. I was afraid to move. I was afraid to go from sitting to standing. You know, so this is not rational. You know, but the emotion was so strong. So over the days of this particular retreat, I was working with fear a lot. And I was noting fear, 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 fear. It just felt like it wasn't making a dent. I was so caught in it. After a few days of this, where this had been going on very intensely, I was doing some walking meditation, working with the feeling, the energy of fear, And suddenly, and this happened just intuitively, I didn't plan for it. It was just the fruit of staying with the practice. 
very intuitively my mind dropped into a different place, a different relationship to it. And this relationship was articulated in the thought. It's not that the thought created it. I already dropped into the space, but then it was articulated as if this fear is here for the rest of my life, it's okay. And so that became the origin of the magic mantra, it's okay. It was That was the first moment that I genuinely accepted that emotion. Until then, I had been noting it, I had been trying to be with it, but it was always with the attitude of, okay, I'm aware of you, please go away. <laughs> One of the amazing things about meditation practice and what gives it so much power, we cannot fool the mind. You know, we can pretend to be accepting, but if we're not genuinely acceptance, we stay stuck. If this fear is here for the rest of my life, it's okay. I was such a relief. And the amazing thing was, after going through days of struggling with this, in that moment of acceptance, that whole mess, what had felt like a congealed mass of fear just washed through. And it's not to say that fear never comes back, because it does, of course, but the relationship to it is different. Oh, this is okay. It's just another feeling. I stopped being afraid of the fear, because if it's here for the rest of my life, it's okay. So I suggest you look at whatever emotion you are struggling with. And as I say, if it's passing through, it's not a problem. But if you feel really caught, check out the level of acceptance. Are you genuinely accepting of the fact that it's arisen? Or are you bargaining? Bargaining in this context doesn't work. There's one very clear feedback, not only about emotions, but in life in general, that we're not accepting something, and that is the experience of struggle. If we're struggling, whether it's in your meditation, whether it's with the breath, whether it's a sensation in the body, whether it's a physical emotion, whether it's with a certain person in your life, If we're struggling, that means one thing. It means something is going on that we're not accepting. Because if we were accepting it, we wouldn't be struggling. It's very straightforward and very simple. Let struggle, let that feeling of struggle kind of wake the mind up to investigate. Right? We're struggling. Don't, it's not a question of condemning the struggle. I shouldn't be struggling. Not that. It's actually a gift because it's telling us, okay, what's going on in the body, in the mind, in our life situation? What's going on that I'm not accepting? Just a little footnote here. Acceptance doesn't mean that we don't respond to the situation. Acceptance just means we get there for it. We're open to it. We're accepting the fact that it's arisen from the place of acceptance 
then there's a possibility of actually skillful response rather than just reacting to it. So sometimes we're not accepting of the emotions because we don't see that we're struggling. Sometimes we're not accepting of the emotions because they're too painful. You know, it's very analogous to sitting with physical pain in meditation. And for those of you particularly who've been on retreat, you know, at times we deal with pain. Actually, you don't have to be be on retreat to realize this. (laughs) Life, at times there's physical pain. But in the meditative process, it's very easy to observe how the mind goes from initially getting very uptight. Oh, I can't be with this. It's too much. You know, we contract over time to relaxing into it. It's okay. It's just unpleasant sensation. Let me be with it. Well, it's being with difficult emotions is very analogous. Some emotions are very painful. You know, and we don't like to open to them. We don't like to feel them because they're very unpleasant. Well, maybe we don't open to them because they don't fit our idea of being a good meditator or even a good person. You know, and so good meditators or good people never feel greed, they never lie, they never get angry. And so if we're holding this kind of self-image or persona we're not going to be aware when these feelings actually do arise. I had one friend, you know, in the Buddhist psychology, there's a personality typology. And it's just one, one map of many. But in the Buddhist psychology, uh, personality types are divided into greed types, aversive types, and deluded types. You know, and, and generally, we all fall in predominantly one or another. You know, with people, the greedy type is those, they just see something and they see what they like. The aversive type will come into a situation and just immediately they see what they don't like. You know, and a deluded type doesn't even know what they're seeing. <laughs> and there is a positive side to each of these, so, but it's more fun to talk about this side. So in terms of not accepting, you know, I had one friend who actually was the greed type, you know, just sees what he likes, but he didn't like, you know, he didn't feel comfortable with the word greed. So he referred to it and himself as being of the sensuous type. (laughs) Like somehow sensuous feels more socially acceptable. And it was just interesting to me because myself being that type, I know very well what it is. <laughs> and it's just, you know, it's, it's the mind that likes, that wants. That, oh, this is nice. This is pleasant. This will be fun. Rather than, oh, you know, this is awful. This is not going to work. But the mind not acknowledging, you know, just being straightforward, being honest. Oh, yeah, that's greed working in the mind. You know, by... by making it more socially acceptable, it actually is a kind of denial. It's not seeing what's really there.
I had a really powerful experience of this. Um, it was a devastating experience, actually. I was on retreat for the first time with my Burmese teacher, Saida Upandita, and he is a very, very formal, very demanding, strict teacher and very powerful presence. So this was the first time I sat with him. This was for three months up at our center in uh, Barry. This is about 20 years ago now. So somewhere in the middle of the retreat, and I was pretty familiar with the whole progression of you know, the meditative unfolding. So I go in for an interview, and it's very, just, just that, it's a very tense situation, you know, because it's easy to regress. <laughs> and I felt really regressed, so, you know, it's going to this big authority figure and, you know, all of that calls up. So I'm giving my report, and I give my report about my experience, and all he says to me is, that's not true. <laughs> and I just felt like I was going to die. <laughs> and I realized in the moment, you know, I knew so much about the progress that I was just kind of in a half unconscious way. I was just shading. You know, I was shading my report to fit more closely with what I thought should be happening rather than, but he's so attuned. You know, he knew. I mean, it just, she said, that's not true. I was devastated. I mean, this is, you know, my teacher. If you had asked me, would you ever kind of go in and lie to your teacher? <laughs> I mean, in a million years, I wouldn't have said that is something I could do. But there it was. I, it, it was awful. I spent three days. You know, I was so much shame and remorse and all of it. I mean, I just felt horrible. But something wonderful came out of it. And that is when I got through you know, my whole emotional reaction, what came out of it was that I saw, oh yeah, my mind can do that too. My mind can lie. You know, even in situations where I thought it never would. And that was so freeing. Because in the acknowledgement, oh yeah, this is a possibility too, it became much easier to see that tendency. You know, to see when it arises in big ways in really small ways. Because I wasn't defending against it. I wasn't living in the delusion, oh, this could never happen. And therefore missing all the times that it did happen. So there's great power, even though it's painful. There's great power when we're willing to open in a very honest way to the emotions that don't fit our self-image. You know, that we think are outside of how uh, we hold ourselves, either in meditation or in the world. This is just a very appropriate quotation from uh, Carl Jung. He said, one does not become enlightened by imagining figures of light, but by making the darkness conscious. The latter procedure, however, is disagreeable and therefore not popular. <laughs> it's extremely disagreeable. 
you know, it's looking at the shadow side of ourselves and it's sometimes not a pretty picture. And yet this is the process of enlightenment. It's the process of awakening to see all these sides of ourselves. With very painful emotions, though, I mean, often we don't open to them because they're painful, but in some situations, the very intensity of the pain is a signal that we need to go slow. Because often, and this happens certainly on meditation retreat, and it happens in life, sometimes we are tapping in to very powerful forces. It might be uh, some past trauma. It might be uh, some kind of abuse in childhood. You know, some very powerful energies for some people are stored. And when they start to come up and it feels, oh, this is a bit overwhelming, that is not the time to go charging through. A lot of care is needed at that time. And a lot of the way we work in meditation, when this starts to come up, is really helping people learn how to modulate the speed and the intensity with which it comes. You know, because it can be overwhelming. Uh, so that's a particular class of experience, and most people don't go through it, but some do. Uh, so I just wanted to mention it. There's a lot to cover this afternoon, but I think, and maybe we'll get to the end, maybe not. Uh, but I thought maybe to stop here for a bit. Uh, if you just want to stand and stretch for a moment or two, and then if you have any questions about what we've discussed so far, and then we can go on. Try to be quick. This is, this was, there'll be a longer break. This is just. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.